From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast, where we share the best conversations from all of Indie Week's online properties. That is our Indie Weekly webinars happening every Tuesday at 4 o'clock, as well as our four online music industry and tech conferences, the flagship Indie Week, Indie 101, Music Pro Summit, and Screen by Screen. So coming up today in just a minute, a conversation from Indie Weekly number 76, which was held back in October of 2022. This is with our friend Matt Gore. Gorman, a highly respected entertainment lawyer with Cox and Palmer, a law firm out in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So Matt has done a lot with us over the last few years, covering a wide range of topics. And this particular conversation is about producer royalties, what they are, how they work, and how to avoid headaches. If you like this conversation, then come join us in DIT because Matt is one of our DIT mentors who every week is offering free tips and advice about all manner of legal issues and topics affecting the lives of artists. Each month, he's doing a theme series of lessons. He's covered record contracts, um, issues affecting producers and beat makers, uh, how to make money and collect royalties in the metaverse, and there's a lot more coming up. So to get those free lessons from Matt and other music industry experts, join us on the DIT online music community. Just go to ditcommunity.com, sign up for free. And it's a wonderful platform, a huge wealth of educational career boosting resources for musicians and music industry professionals. But it's also a great network for uh, expanding your own um, music community, your own network, your own web of people who you can lean on to answer questions or maybe collaborate with and do business with in the music industry. So again, that's DIT, stands for Do It Together. It's online music community. DITcommunity.com is a website. Come join us there along with Matt Gorman and our other mentors. All right, so that conversation with Matt is in just a minute. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox and Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another session of Indie Weekly. It is Tuesday, of course, and this is Indie Weekly number 76. I'd like to introduce our guest, Matt Gorman. And Matt, if you could give a little bit of a background of yourself, and uh, we'll take it from there. Thanks, Daryl. Um, so my name is Matt Gorman. Uh, I've done a number of these Indie Weekly, so happy to be back as usual. Um, simply put, I'm an entertainment lawyer based in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I largely work with uh, talent and creatives uh, in the entertainment space. So that's, you know, producers and songwriters, um, you know, performers, and also anyone that creates um, a creative content. So, you know, influencers. Um, I've been doing some work for influencers, authors, actors, etc. So most of what I do is music, but it's uh, entertainment um, more broadly as well. So if you're a creative, I typically will, will you know, assist you with uh, the legal aspect of your, of your life and your career. Um, I'm just putting in the chat right now my name and Instagram. You can look me up uh, at Ocean Town Music. Um, so I started in the entertainment space. I started my own law firm called Ocean Town Music. Um, I still have that company. I, I do some event promotion and management work through Ocean Town Music. But I, as of uh, January of this year, joined a firm called Cox and Palmer, based in Halifax, which is a regional Canadian firm. And so all the legal work that I do is is now through uh, Cox and Palmer. Howdy, Matt. Hey, uh, Darren. What's up? And I see Jay on here and a bunch of familiar faces um, and names. Um, so yeah, looking forward to being here, Daryl, and chatting about producer agreements. I was just saying before the call that I've been doing a lot of producer agreement uh, discussions around producer agreements, points, and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I've, I've started working with a lot of producers. I don't know if that's how 
I've just simply been marketing myself online, but I've got a lot of producer clients and just love that work. And I love what producers do and what they bring to the table. So um, happy to happy to dive in, Daryl. Absolutely. And and uh, interesting, you said influencers and content creators. I've actually had some discussions recently, especially how, you know, TikTokers and people online are now creating content. They maybe didn't think themselves as musicians, but they're turning into musicians and, and such, and they don't know any of the business at all. So, um, so I'm finding that there is a lot of people out there that are social media is kind of pulling them in and turning them into something they didn't plan. And they're like, ah, how do I make money? And, and where's the business? So, um, interesting yeah. that, that you're working with, uh, influencers. And, and it happens super quick, as you know, you know, there are some folks, um, some influencers that have been around a little while that have worked at it and have had a plan and it's sort of a grind to get to where they are. And there are others where it just kind of happens. There's, you know, obviously that virality that happens uh, with, with various platforms and, and different influencers. And I find sometimes when that happens, someone's like, whoa, I now have a business <laughs> and someone wants to pay me to do something. And I'm being presented with contracts and, um, you know, this is great that this is happening, but I wasn't expecting this and I'm not prepared for it. So I find they're kind of, you know, those are kind of the bookends I find in the influencer world, like the slow grind, the slow grind people that have more of an appreciation for content creation and the rights associated with it. And those where they just get this almost instantaneous success. And it's like, okay, now, now I got to figure this out and wrestle with these issues, you know, today or yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Jay's on here, so he'll appreciate this. Some of the deals that we're kind of in negotiation with, and this is my downtown hat speaking, my CD baby in downtown Fuga hat, hats plural, um, is we're often getting people coming to us and they want an advance. And I'm really like, hey, where's your revenue? Show me your revenue so that we could justify an advance and stuff. So, so it's, that's the, more on the accounting side, but but really what I want to sort of start off with, if, if you get your business in order and correct, it allows you to work on deals. It allows you to negotiate and have some leverage as opposed to, hey, I, I don't really have anything to back it up and I want an advance. So I know that that's not necessarily this discussion, but I just want to say, get your business in order so that you have negotiation power and, and that's important. Yeah. Um, no, that's a good point. Darla. I guess what I would say, um, what I would say to that is make sure you involve your lawyers and your accountants at an early stage to come up with the right business structure for you. Um, that might depend, uh, might depend on how much money is coming in, might depend on your risk, might depend on what you're doing. Um, you know, sometimes I've had those discussions with uh, clients or potential clients, you know, with accountants on the line as well. And, and sometimes it's been like, well, we're going to hold off. We don't really need to do anything yet. Um, other times, um, you know, the, the cost of incorporating all that is, is appropriate based on what's coming in. And other times there's a whole lot of catch up work to do. Um, and a whole, you know, you know I, I will say that if you, and I'm sure Jay can speak to this as well. If you leave things for too, too long. Um, the catch-up work can get expensive. You know, you're talking tax rollovers and all kinds of potentially expensive stuff if that's applicable for you. So again, there's a spectrum here, but I, I would say just make sure you involve your professionals at an early stage. And if the answer is nothing to do yet, well, so be it. Fine. You know, no one's, you know, the accountants and the lawyers aren't getting paid unless they do work. And hopefully, you know, I, I always do, you know, free consultations. If we're only going to chat for 20 minutes, half an hour, that's all good. Um, I can't speak for accountants, but hopefully they would do the same. Uh, but yeah, if the answer is um, hold off and that, you know, then, then so be it. Right. And I, I'm going to tie it all up at the end. You'll see it. So points and producers. Uh, let's first define points. How, do, how does a producer maybe start getting into negotiating that? Uh, what does that look like? Um, yeah, no, for sure. And just uh, looking at the comments there. Yeah. And it, I'll, I'll cap off that, that uh, discussion. I, I agree, Jay, you got to get an uh, industry specific lawyer and accountant. You don't want, you know, um, an insurance uh, litigator helping you do your entertainment uh, contracts and that sort of thing. Um, so what are points? Um, okay. So let's dive right into it. So I guess my mission here today and lately is to kind of demystify some of this stuff because 
Um, I'm convinced it's not that complicated, but I think there's um, so much lingo in the industry. There's so many different sort of terms being used. Um, there are a lot of blogs out there where there's misinformation, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so the goal here, I think, is just to simplify it. So when we're talking points, I guess the starting, um, the, the starting point is to understand that we're talking about revenue from uh, the sound recording or master royalties. There's the world of music publishing, um, the composition and the work. That's a different world. That's a different copyright. If we're talking about points in the context of the producer agreements and producers, we're talking about revenue and royalties on the sound recording um, uh, with respect to the sound recording copyright. That's, I think, the first point just to get out of there, uh, just to get sort of um, um, out there in the, in the sort of the front end of this discussion. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, well, what are they? Well, it's a percentage of those sound recording, um, a percentage of sound recording revenue. So if you are getting, you know, one, two, three, four, five so-called points, you're getting one, two, three, four, or five um, percentage points out of 100 of the uh, sound recording of revenue. Um, that's number two. <laughs> but I think where it gets a little bit more complicated is that there's different sort of commercial structures when it comes to you know, how points are calculated and how these deals are done. If you're talking about a two or a three or a four or a five point deal, you know, sometimes you know, PPD is thrown out there, published price to dealer, we're largely talking about uh, points in the context of a major label uh, recording deal. That's when the artist is signed to say like a Warner, a Sony or a Universal. Um, that artist may have an, a, you know, quote, all in rate of maybe 15, 16, 17%, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and the one, two, three, four, or five producer points comes out of that artist's share of 15, 16, 17, 18, whatever the case may be. So in the context of a major label deal, the producer getting say two or three points, they're getting two or three percentage points. Well, that's coming out of the artist's 15, 16, or 17 uh, uh, percent or point royalty from the label. That's sort of one context. Um, and so when you're talking about points, only maybe two, three, four, five, um, but the artist is independent or not signed to a major record label, um, I find it's an easier commercial arrangement to not talk about one, two, three, four points, but to talk about a percentage of net receipts of whatever the artist gets. And normally what that amounts to is anywhere from, you know, it could be, you know, uh, five to 10 on the low end, anywhere from 15 to 20 to 25% net receipts on the higher end. That is to say that if the producer is getting a, um, you know, a deal of 15% net receipts, they're getting 15% of whatever it is the artist gets. And I find that's a better, more convenient formula to use when the artist is either independent uh, or they're signed to an indie deal where there's, you know, where the artist has a net 50-50 deal or, or what have you. And so that's what we're talking about when it comes to points. There's sort of, you know, the major label context on the one hand, um, but if you're, you know, if you're a producer and, you know, you're working with an independent artist and the artist says, hey, I'm going to give you, you know, uh, three points PPD for producing this track. I think you need to kind of pivot the conversation and say, OK, well, um, what's that going to be on a net receipts basis? And normally the way you figure that out is, well, if the artist isn't signed to a major record label, um, the artist um, has sort of, you know, you give the artist a deemed royalty rate, you know, you say, okay, well, if you were signed with a major uh, label, um, let's say we'll give you a deemed rate of 20%. And so if the producer is getting three points, well, you know, three divided by 20 times hundred, that's the percentage points of net receipts that the producer should get. And the more I'm talking about this, I, I guess I can understand why people get confused. But um, I think simply put, if you kind of break it down in that way, we're talking about you know, to recap, we're talking about sound recording revenue, number one, not publishing, you know, number two, um, you know, we're, we're talking about two, three to five points, PPD, for example, we're talking about those points in the major label context, if the artist is signed to a major, but in the other context or other contexts where the artist is either independent or has an indie record label, um, for example, um, you really have to take those points and convert it into net receipts for the producer deal to be more in line with industry practice, I would say. And so if it's not a major record, uh, uh, art, if it's not an artist signed to a major record uh, deal, you know, the, the, um, the producer's percentage of net receipts should be anywhere from, you know, five to 10 on the low end to could be anywhere from 10, 15, 20 
um, on the high end. Um, and that's just, just, I know I'm talking a lot, but just to add to that, I guess, um, that could be a little bit different depending on what advance or fee the producer might get. So for example, if the producer is uh, gonna produce the track for no fee or no advance whatsoever, um, the producer is gonna kind of do it out of the kindness of their heart. Well, that producer in that context might be able to command a 50% um, you know, net receipts uh, royalty. Um, you know, and you see that happen sometimes when the producer is going in, the artist doesn't have any money to give. Um, obviously that's, that's a lot in any kind of regular commercial context, um, but sometimes you see that as well, but it's really going to be, you know, on a case by case basis. Is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I've got a couple of questions around this. I've got a lot of questions and I'm sure yeah. others do too. Um, in the terms of points, uh, is there a lifespan? Like, um, is it a lifetime or a, a year term, like number of years term? Um, no, how, how does that work? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. I mean, um, when you're give, when a producer is given um, net receipts or, or master royalties, that's going to be for the life of the copyright of the sound recording. Um, there, there's not normally ever, a, from what I see on a day to day basis, um, a term or an expiration date when it comes to uh, the producer royalties or points. Um, However, not to not to go off topic too much, but where you might see sort of, you know, you know, an expiration. I mean, what that makes me think of is, you know, a, a songwriter that might sign, you know, a deal with a music publisher or something like that. I mean, oftentimes the music publisher, um, you know, and, and you know, uh, the music publisher will hold on to, um, you know, uh, exclusive control of the songs for a period of maybe 10 or 15 years after the term. Um, similarly, for uh, record labels and uh, record contracts. Um, you know, where the record company is not taking, you know, copyright of the sound recordings in perpetuity, oftentimes it's more standard in a licensing deal that the record company, you know, has exclusive control over the sound recordings for, again, you know, maybe seven, 10, 15 years, maybe more. So in those kind of contexts, when we're talking about, you know, the exclusive rights of the record, co uh, record company or a music publisher, oftentimes you, you will see um, sort of a window in which they're able to um, exclusively control um, the sound recording or the compositions but in the context of producer royalties you know when a producer is getting you know net receipts points whatever you know they're going to get that um as long um you know for the life of that of that copyright right oh, awesome and i've got a couple more questions but i see one from andrew hey andrews haven't seen you in a while saw you had a new release recently congrats um can you give some examples of the types of revenue that we've uh, yes. comprise um, net receipts. Yeah, it's also a really good question. So uh, when we're talking about net receipts, points, uh, we're talking about sound recording revenue, any sound recording revenue. <laughs> so, um, so for example, if the uh, producer is uh, getting 15% uh, net receipts of whatever the, the artist gets in relation to you know, a sound recording or a group of sound recordings, they're getting 15% of what the artist gets for all the exploitations of that sound recording. So that would be, you know, sound recording, uh, digital streams, master use licenses, um, you know, physical album sales, et cetera. Any way in which that sound recording uh, makes money, the producers um, cut, you know, they should be making the producer, the producer should be making their cut on all of those exploitations. Um, unless, you know, for example, by contract, there are certain carve outs or whatever, but I normally wouldn't see those unless there's a very specific reason for it. Right. Now I see this a fair bit. And in fact, a, a friend of ours, uh, a producer, uh, Chris Burkett was just up North and working with uh, artists that, from the Inuit territories, which was actually really cool. Uh, very excited to see the results of that, but a producer, uh, another one comes to mind is Daniel Anwar, who's been also playing around recently um, get songwriting credits or a performers, uh, like they play guitar on the song. Sure. Uh, so obviously more revenue income streams. How does that all sort of play out? Like, yeah, I produced the song, I co-wrote the song and I played yeah. on the song. Yeah. Um, so we kind of dove into producer points. Um, you know, if I could, um, go back to the beginning, I might've started out by saying, um, you know, let's talk about the different available revenue streams for producers, you know, and points is just one. Um, another potential 
revenue stream is obviously an upfront uh, payment. Um, you know, got some producer clients that make anywhere from five, 10, 15 plus US, 1,000 USD per track um, as an advance. So you could get an in-pocket advance um, against future royalties. And if you're getting an advance, well, you're going to get points as well. So number one is the advance. Number two are the royalties or the points. Um, number three could be music publishing if that producer is also a songwriter. And sound exchange, we you know are neighboring rights. We could get we can get into that a little bit later. So I kind of look at those four as the as the four main key revenue streams available to uh, producers. Um, again, we just when we talk about points or sound recording royalties, we're just talking about one, and we've kind of touched on that already. Um, now, if we're talking about whether the producer is a songwriter, well, they're not always a songwriter, <laughs> but some producers that I work with always are just by the just by virtue of what they do in the studio what they bring, what they can command, um, the fact that they're always contributing um, music, melody, potentially lyrics, et cetera, to, um, uh, to a song, to a track. And so um, if the producer is going to be getting publishing royalties, really what we're saying is they're not just a producer, they're also a songwriter in that context. And again, some producers are some producers are not. It's a little bit of the Wild West out there. Some people think it's a little bit more cut and dry. Um, I think it's a little bit of the Wild West. There are certain producers that can just command it. Um, you know, I've done some some deals. I've got an artist that um, went to LA to, to record and do some sessions with a producer. It was like, when you step in the room with me, the songs are being split 50-50. I don't care what happens. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if we want to work with this producer, well, that's, that's the cost. Um, um, they probably did write 50%. I don't know in the case of every, every single composition, but maybe, maybe that was fair. Um, and I just actually, um, if you follow me on Instagram, I just, I felt compelled to do this post, but I made a little video about uh, songwriting splits and how to split songs. And I kind of went through the different customs out there, you know, whether, you know, there's the Nashville rule, you know, there's the rule, the other custom where, you know, the lyricist gets 50% of the composition and the creator of the music and melody gets the other 50%, you know, in the hip hop and pop context, if you're uh, a, a beat maker or creator of the instrumental track, oftentimes in the hip hop and pop context, uh, I do a lot of work in that space. Oftentimes that's worth 50% of the composition with the lyricist and, and uh, performer getting the, or performers getting the other 50%. So lots of different ways to slice and dice the composition, but going back to the beginning about whether that producer is gonna be getting music publishing or not, it's just gonna be on a case by case basis. Uh, but the main question, if you're an artist, I guess is, did that producer actually write the song? Did that producer actually materially contribute to the composition, which is more or less kind of the legal test, but we can get into that another time for anyone uh, wanting to do a nerdy deep dive on the legal test for songwriting. But um, but yeah, so does that kind of answer your question, Daryl, around how the, the publishing equation? Yeah, like like essentially the, there's multiple pieces of the pie for a potential income for a producer. And yeah. And and again, it's like it's going into the project and trying to define that. Um, even if we're not sure they're going to write together or whatever, but it's the in case we do, let's have this conversation first, uh, and and so it's not awkward later. Yeah, and it's it's tricky. I mean, any producers out there, you're going to know. Like sometimes going into the discussion or the session, rather, uh, you know, you know, maybe it's all agreed that you're going to be a songwriter. Um, maybe it's not agreed, and you have to figure it out after. Like you know, in working with some really phenomenal producers at a, quite a high level, oftentimes a lot of the stuff is discussed afterwards. Sometimes even after the song is released, sometimes it just happens. Um, ideally, we've, you know, we reshape the industry a little bit to create some more certainty around this. Um, but sometimes in the world of songwriting, it's a bit tricky. If you've got a studio and you're in a hot spot and someone's coming in, you know, they just want to do a session. Maybe the song gets cut. Maybe it doesn't. They want the stems, you give them the stems because you want them to have the track. And maybe that's, maybe there's an increased likelihood this the track's going to get cut. So you play ball. And then months later, you're knocking on people's doors, you know, well, digital doors saying, hey, what's going on? Oh yeah, that song was cut. You know, let's talk about this. And um, sometimes it's just how it happens. And I wish, and um, it was done a little bit more cleanly. Um, but if anyone out there has some ideas from an industry perspective, how to, how to tidy this up and how to, you know, maybe, um, do things a little bit more efficiently. Um, and I don't know, maybe sometimes in some contexts, it's not possible just because of the nature of how quickly it happens. And we'll be back.
Hey, listener, you're listening to our podcast, which is a recorded session from one of our other online sessions. Every Tuesday, you can tune in and be part of it at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that is Toronto time. For those of you listening in from different parts of the world, uh, it's our Indie Weekly, and that means we talk with music industry professionals, artists, all about the music business. It's a great way to connect with others as we have people tuning in from around the world. We encourage dropping links, sharing, DMing, making real connections while learning about the music industry and uh, hearing from music industry professionals. So once again, that's Indie Weekly every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Toronto time. And to sign up, just head over to IndieWeek.com and all the information is there. And we're back. Yeah, and I I have to say too, uh, just human nature is often, I don't feel comfortable talking money, so I'm not going to until, and it's too late. Uh, it's awkward. Uh, so I'm, I'm of yeah. mind of like, just speak up front, just get it over with. And, and, and that, that just gets rid yeah. of all the awkwardness. I think. I, I totally agree, Daryl. And, and like, one other thing is, you know, if you have a discussion and parties just don't know, you know, maybe the producer is going to contribute. Maybe they're not, maybe everyone just wants to feel things out. What I've done in the past is I've actually done a producer agreement signed up front where there is a publishing provision which essentially says something to the effect of, you know, in the event the producer uh, makes an original material, you know, expression to the composition, um, you know, the parties will in good faith discuss, um, you know, split of the composition, blah, 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 blah. A little bit fluffy, but the good thing about that is, well, number one, you've had, you started the conversation, so people are live to the issue. Uh, number two, everyone knows that there's a possibility it could happen. So, you know, there's not going to be a party completely resistant to that. And, um, you know, you have a, like a leg to stand on to, um, you know, to approach, you know, the artist or the producer, or whatever the context is, you know, after the fact to talk about, you know, have a meaningful discussion about those splits. So I've done that before. And sometimes that can, that can work out uh, for those situations where you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jermaine says, plan the divorce before the marriage is the best way. <laughs> I love that. I might steal yeah. that and uh, post that on social later. Um, so so one thing that I, I want to sort of talk about, and I don't think is talked about a lot in the sense that uh, with a songwriter, with an artist, with a producer, let's think more of a long-term outlook uh, because often it's like, okay, we're very in the moment, here's this project. But let's look at a career. Um, Because what you're doing in any case, whether performer, songwriter, producer, is you're actually building your net worth in the sense on, you know, I've produced X number of projects, I have X number of points, blah, blah, blah. Here's my catalog. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, this is of mine, like I said, on the downtown side, we're looking at some catalogs right now that uh, to acquire and stuff. And we're like, what's your revenue? let's start there. And, and, and they can't a lot, sometimes they can't really produce their proper documents and, and such, but what, what you're hearing a lot of times is these song catalogs being purchased and stuff, but with producers, I know some who have agents now and, and the agent is getting them work and such. And part of that is they built up their net worth, like their, their demand in the sense. Um, so can you talk about, you know, let's say X number of years take place, I've built up this value, what can happen? Like, what have you seen happen with some producers that over time have built up some value with, I've got all these points, what does it mean? Uh, um, it can uh, mean um, everything. <laughs> it can mean early retirement. It can mean, uh, what are some folks called the the FU or the pool money, um, uh, being a little bit facetious, but yeah, I, I, I've seen, um, you know, some big dollars on the table for producers that are cutting great tracks. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, and the four revenue streams that we talked about earlier, um, you know, depending on the producer and depending on the work they get, 
um, any one of those streams can be more potentially more meaningful than the other. Although I find oftentimes all four seem to grow with the cloud of the of the producer. You know, I've some se I've seen some producers um, do incredibly well off of, off of Sound Exchange. Um, I see other producers that have co-written um, global hits, and their publishing revenues are wild. And that's why you know, you'll see a lot of producers sign publishing deals. Um, you see that quite a bit. Um, you know, thinking of um, you know, awesome Canadian uh, company at a Toronto kilometer, um, uh, kilometer doing lots of signings with producers. Um, you know, Sony Universal, Warner, you'll, you'll see them sign, you know, publishing deals with producers because these producers have valuable um, uh, song catalog because they've acquired that over time. And that's the difference maybe between a producer that's getting, you know, one third of a global hit, uh, a song versus a producer that didn't negotiate that or maybe didn't think of it. And maybe time went on. They're like, oh, you know, we'll just, you know, I'll give that up. I'll let that go. Um, so publishing revenue, sound exchange can be uh, very substantive. Um, points certainly over time can be um, substantive. Um, but, um, you know, as producers increase their clout um, and work with bigger and bigger artists, you also see that advance or that fee come way up as well. And, you know, um, again, that can be the difference between a few hundred dollars uh, you know, three to five hundred dollars for a producer per track to five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand USD per track. Um, so it can be substantial. There is a lot of money on the table for those in-demand producers, um, but it's a grind. People out there are working so hard; they're working around the clock. Um, and uh, you know, good producers are always in in demand. So if that's your field, if that's your craft, work at it. Grow your business. It's you know, growing like anybody else. Um, you know, most produced contrary to maybe popular belief or what you see in social media, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but my, my anecdotal kind of uh, thinking is that those producers that are doing very, very well right now, it's been a slow grind and they've been around for a minute. Um, certainly lots of good, you know, examples of producers that write a great beat and I don't know, maybe DJ Khaled or whoever, um, you know, goes whatever, um, that instantaneous success can happen. But um, I think those producers that have built a really great business have done so over time uh, by working really, really hard at their craft and being really good at what they do. Absolutely. And, and I guess where I'm kind of going with it is, is the, the possibility to build something that we understand is going to take time, but you're building value and, and, and kind of circling back. This is why yeah. keeping your business straight in order is so important. And, and I, I almost recommend every year do an audit of all of your works and records and, and yeah. is it still collecting? Cause, cause there's new things like TikTok that didn't exist before. And are, am I collecting from there? So, so how do you, I'm, now I'm kind of going into tech a little bit of like keeping on top of, Hey, here's a new thing. And am I registered properly for it? Cause it didn't exist before. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, um, that whole discussion around building a business and value and all that. Um, yeah. Part of that is ensuring uh, that you're registered for all the right collection associations. You know, if you're, you know, you got to register with SOCAN in Canada or ASCAP or BMI in the United States for your public performance royalties uh, for the songwriting side, you know, mechanical uh, licensing organization like CMRA or SOCAN RR in Canada, um, you know, or the MLC, um, you know, sound exchange um, or in Canada, um, you know, you can do a combination of, you know, sound exchange for the states or your other neighboring rights organizations like Connect or Resound, um, et cetera. So there's, there are different combinations sometimes of these different collection associations that you can register with. And we won't do a deep dive um, here, but just to put on everyone's radar, um, if you're not registered with the right collection associations, you got to be, um, because that's another way you're going to build value, build your business. Um, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely, Daryl, you got to be registered. And um, I like that that audit comment because there are some producers where I do some quasi sort of management work and help them um, collect all their royalties. And we have spreadsheets and we identify tracks and we identify, you know, uh, points and, you know, how many points or what was the net receipts deal for this particular track? You know, their last statement says that, you know, they're unrecouped by X amount. You know, let's watch that. You know, have the sound exchange letters of direction been, you know, filed, you know, by the artist or by the artist team for those, you know, for those sound exchange royalties and the featured artist share if you're a producer. So 
uh, there's a whole lot to keep track of. And if you're a producer, there's lots of ways you can make money. But I, you know, I, I always, um, you know, strongly recommend that you, you know, you always run your, 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 um, your music as a business, because <laughs> I was gonna say run your business as a business. It is, it is a business and do your, you know, do your audits, have your spreadsheets, have, you know, have a list of all the, the tracks you've worked on and what you're getting and where you are, are you recouped? Are you not, et cetera. So, you know, really good point. And, and yeah, I think those producers that really have their, their um, shit together do that and have management teams that do that for them as well. Yeah, it, it's like uh, we were. I was talking to a, a pretty big artist not that long ago, doing business potentially on the downtown side, and and the management was like, well, they had a different manager. I took over management last two years, trying to clean up because some records are with Universal, some are with this label, others we released ourselves, and and some we're not sure of even. Yeah. So so this is the other sort of beauty of the digital space but also the downside of the digital space is there's so many options that i find people go hey i'm going to release over here and then i'm going to try over here and it actually makes harder for them to keep records so they don't actually keep records because it's all over the place um what what's sort of your experience in, in maybe those types of situations like cleaning it up and uh have you had that kind of well i so on, on the legal side I, I don't deal with that too much again some quasi management stuff i do i'm typically not too deep into the books all that kind of thing all that kind of stuff yeah um, but but having said that i i do think you gotta even if it is a hot mess as uh, as, as it would just put oh, yeah. in, in the chat group <laughs> um I don't think that should stop anybody from doing your your quote audits we'll call it you know your your spreadsheet your list of tracks what that deal looked like, where you know what platform even, um, and um, that's going to give you always a bird's eye view of what's going on. You know, maybe there are certain tracks where everything's looking good, but maybe there are certain weeks of the month where you have to, you know, you identify some uh, troublesome tracks where you need to, you know, contact that label. You haven't received an accounting, or um, you don't know where you know your recoupment account stands, or what's going on there, artist. You know, for an independent artist that was supposed to pay you but didn't, or there was a master use license that you know you know happened, and there was some money received but you didn't. Like, you really have to keep track of it all because no one's going to do it for you, other than you or someone on your team, like a like a manager. You know, um, uh, you know, as I said earlier, some producers, uh, you know, have have publishers that that assist them with some of that stuff as well. But you know, no one's going to clean up your business for you so you really just have to grab the bull by the horn and and do it yourself and it is it, it can be a hot mess but you just got to keep at it it's it's a constant thing until you're dead <laughs> if you're serious about it <laughs> it's continuous it's relentless yes. um you know there was like like uh been listening to the bob left sets podcast and he had uh paul mccartney's manager on there you know several months ago whenever it was and he was talking about like even to this day there's no one in his books more than Paul McCartney today. <laughs> um, uh, you know, not to say if you have, you know, a billion dollars, you need to do it. But I think it's just a mentality of it need to be in your books. You need to, you know, uh, you know, no one can want it more than you, which is what I always say, uh, which is a line that I stole from somebody else. But you, no one can want it more than the artist or the producer. Absolutely. And, and, uh, uh, that artist just say no we didn't do a deal uh because okay yeah it, it was literally, too messy uh yeah like like it was like kind of like hey for us to do an advance or anything like that why do we have to do so much work to understand your books and that means it's going to be hard moving forward so so it, it might be a hindrance on actually getting a deal if you don't have it in order yeah. but where i want to go with this is so we've been talking kind of more like the points and royalties. And just so you know, I'm kind of generalizing points, meaning everything that they're yeah. collecting. Yeah. Um, okay, we're doing an audit. Oh, I'm owed some money. So so let, let's talk about that type of point of if you discover, hey, I haven't been paid. What's, what's the course of action that a producer can take if they discover uncollected funds? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely... Um it definitely happens. Um, and in my, I guess, 
experience, it, it definitely is uh, a fairly frequent occurrence that um, uh, that it, uh, that an accounting statement has not been given when it's supposed to be given. And so typically, if we're still talking about producer agreements, you know, let's just say it's an, a producer agreement between, you know, producer artist or producer label or whatever, there should be, and, you know, Jay hopefully will, will appreciate this, um, there needs to be um, an accounting and audit provision uh, within the, the contract, which I know is not sexy whatsoever, but it's critically important because it's going to tell um, the, the producer how often they're going to receive a statement and how often they're going to get paid. Um, you know, you'll never see it more than quarterly, more often a semi-annual. So twice a year, producers should be given um, a statement um, as to their royalty account. Um, you know, if they recoup, they should see royalties. Um, if there was no advance, you know, they should see it right away. Um, but the producer should be tracking that. And if they're getting the sense that they're not getting paid and they know that there's some money on the table that maybe artist has kept or label has kept that they should be owed, well, the first step normally if I'm involved is to understand what's going on, understand the contract, understand the rights, understand why the producer feels the way they do. And then as required, you know, uh, send some friendly or sometimes not so friendly emails to other parties to say, look, here are the facts, uh, client hasn't been paid. Um, let's figure this out and get a position. Um, and normally you'd wanna do it kind of informally. Um, there's obviously, uh, well, not obviously, if you're not familiar with it, I guess, but normally there's always going to be an audit provision in the contract. So it allows the, the um, producer, for example, if we're still in this context, to get a chartered accountant, typically requires a chartered accountant to um, do a formal audit, can be super expensive, insanely expensive. Normally those audit costs are on the producer, um, unless you negotiate, you know, tweak to the clause. Normally what I like to say is, you know, yeah, if producer audits the label or artist, it's on producer's dime, sure. But in the event we get the audit back and we find out that you know producer has been underpaid by 10% or more, well, guess what? Those audit costs are gonna be on the label or artist. Um, and so that's the process. Again, don't wanna be a part of that because you're looking at an insane amount of money in professional fees. There really has to be a lot of money on the table in order to justify that. But more practically, I think for you know this call and this session, is that you just want to press people. <laughs> um, you want to press the label. You want to press the artist. Um, you want to have, but you really need to have your your house in order to understand that you're not. To your earlier point, Daryl, like if you don't have your your affairs in order, if you're not tracking your money, you're not going to get that gut feeling that you're owed something to begin with, probably, right? So the more you have, the more organized you are, the more you have your affairs in order from a business perspective, the better positioned you're going to be to then make a case or to um, you know, send a nudge to a label or an artist or whoever the right party is going to be to say, hey, give me that accounting statement. I want to see where I am, number one. And once you have it, if it's way off, well, then you got to, you know, press the matter and see where you go. But is that helpful? That's kind of like high level some processes that I've been involved in. There's then, like I say, the real meal deal kind of audit, but there really has to be a lot of money on the table to justify the professional fees to make that help or to make that, um, um, you know, applicable or worthwhile. Yeah, it's, it's just such an important thing. Um, and Jay also uh, put in, uh, yes, you need an audit provision paragraph in any agreement that results in statements, reports, and dollars flowing. Uh, this way you can always audit and check if you're being paid properly. So. Uh, yeah, no, to no, totally. Um, and there's, there's some better online portals out there. There's not many. I mean, with the majors, they have them. Like these online portals are, are, are better, I think, at tracking things. So on a quarterly basis, you'll see your online portal updated. Um, but I think indie labels, small labels, um, you know, and especially artists, artists who are independent may only realize sometimes six months, a year or two down the road, oh, wait a minute, I had to, I had to do some accounting here. And that's where it gets a little bit messy. Um, and I guess one final point um, on this is if you're a producer, now that we're talking about accounting and auditing and all that, um, you know, if you are a producer, um, we're talking about your points or your royalties, you typically want to, and you know, you're dealing with an artist that has a label, you typically want to have a letter of direction in there where the artist essentially, you know, goes to the label and says, hey, label, you are going to pay um, producer their royalties directly. And so artist is kind of out of the equation. And why that's good for the producer more, more often than not, I would say, is because in theory, you know, the label should have their affairs in order 
their accounting departments. And so they're going to be, the label is going to be in a better position to pay producer royalties direct, as opposed to rely on maybe an artist that has, well, the artist is worried about being an artist, right? And so, uh, you know, their, their accounting may not be great because, you know, they should be focused on their art. So that's one thing to make sure it's in there if your producer is that letter of direction clause if you're dealing with a label. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I was going to kind of hint to that earlier in the sense that if there's no label involved and it's a producer deal with an artist, you're really relying on the artist to do the math and calculations and pay out on a timely basis, which uh, can be difficult because you're right. They're trying to be artists. And, and I've seen that. Totally. Hopefully this is, you know, hopefully this is helping people. It's not too into the weeds. I know we're covering kind of a lot of, a lot of ground here, but like I say, I put my Instagram and my email way up top. You know, if I've touched on something, you know, if you say, Hey, Matt, that's not right. <laughs> or if you say, you know, Matt, I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper. Someone in the chat said they want to dive deeper into the legal test around songwriting. I'm pretty available. I would say I'm kind of, you know, I'm always working, I'm always monitoring messages, et cetera. And I, you know, I love educating uh, folks, especially on the artist side, because that's where I do most of my work. You know, I grew up playing music. I grew up playing classical piano and then drums. I've been playing drums and bands my whole life. And so, you know, my mission has always kind of been to, to work for creatives and artists, songwriters, performers, producers, et cetera. So here to help. Yeah, likewise. And uh, so is there is there an area I know like we're kind of like it's amazing how fast these these sessions go. Yeah, is, I know. Is there a couple of points that you want to make sure to touch on that we haven't touched on? Because uh, I, I, I mean, we could talk for hours on this stuff. I know. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I had some notes beforehand that I haven't looked at or, or touched since we started, but that's all right. Um, I mean, one, one thing, again, maybe it's a little bit into the weeds, <clears throat> um, but for producers out there, um, you know, not going to be uncommon where a producer is going to, you know, have a deal with an artist where a label is going to be involved um, and they're going to, you know, the producer is going to receive an advance. Could be a modest sum, could be a significant sum, as we talked about earlier. Um, I guess one piece of advice there is producers are always complaining about how long it takes labels to pay producers their advances. Because oftentimes if a label is involved, um, that producer advance is going to be paid directly from the label to the producer. And it's actually going to be a recoupable cost from the artist's account who's signed to that label. Um, and again, sometimes that can take months and months and months. And so one piece of advice is to, you know, make sure that that long form contract is signed up, that if there's any applicable tax forms, I know Jay's, Jay's gone now, but if there's any applicable tax forms, so for example, you know, if you're a Canadian dealing with a U.S. company, you know, the U.S. company wants you to execute what's referred to as W8BEN. Uh, form to confirm that you're a non, you know, U.S. Uh, resident, you know, to confirm that, you know, you're the beneficial owner of the funds. And that's going to be a way that you're not going to be subject to any withholding taxes. So the long form agreement, any applicable tax forms and the producer invoice, whether you're getting 500 or 5,000, um, get a, get an invoice online, just whatever, get, doesn't matter, whatever template that just says, you know, producer's name, address, you know, the amount of money that the label is supposed to pay and then send it off. Um, those are the three kind of key things that need to be in before a label is going to pay. And so oftentimes when producers are complaining about that, I'll say, well, has the long form been signed up yet? Oh, well, no, the lawyer is dragging their feet, blah, blah, blah. Well, has the invoice been done? Well, no, I didn't know I needed to. Tax form, but didn't know I needed to. So um, that's probably the one key thing that I would say just very kind of insider, maybe pro tip is that if you want to kind of speed up those advanced payments, make sure that that documentation is good to go. Yeah. And it, I'll add one thing I'll just on the invoice side, because we receive invoices. I, I find to some people invoicing is new. And so they just sort of send us some stuff, make sure it's right. Make sure all the, <laughs> that's, that's the, how you're getting paid. And with big companies, if you send in something that is incorrect, it is in this long system and it gets put to the bottom of the pile to get through again and, and such. So, so just be really diligent on being correct 
and making sure your invoice has everything like an invoice number. Uh, often I get invoices yeah. without invoice numbers and we need to have some tracking uh, capabilities with it. So simple things like that, just make sure it's all there. Yeah. And no, absolutely, Daryl. And I think you asked for like two final points. I thought of another one, I guess, as we were, as you were right. chatting there. Um, so, you know, there's that, you know, the forms to be submitted. The other thing is guys, we've been talking about producer points, largely other revenue streams. Keep in mind that when it comes to producer agreements, there's a whole lot of other terms in those agreements that are, you know, I wouldn't say everything is equally as important as the money, but, you know, one thing like the credit, for example, you know, for some producers is just as important as any money, because if the producer is associated with a particular artist, they want to make sure that they're appropriately credited. And, you know, I've had some producer, you know, the biggest freak out I've ever seen of any producer I've ever worked with is that the credit was wrong for a particular track. And we had to chase, you know, the label for weeks, if not months and months to get that corrected because that producer, that credit is everything. You know, sometimes that's, that's everything for that producer to be named an association correctly, you know, with a particular track. So it's not only making sure that the credit is correct, but also don't be like, you don't want to be surprised that the artist is a co-producer. You know, sometimes that happens is the producer is obviously being hired as the producer, but then the track gets released and then the credit is such and such producer. You know, it, it might say co-produced by producer and the artist's name. And the producer's like, what? No idea. Like that artist wasn't blah, 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 blah. So make sure that everyone's clear on that from the beginning, because that can cause a lot of mess. Uh, that That is huge. I got to say, um, for many, many reasons. And uh, um, this is kind of going back to that point of building your worth and your value. And, and I'm kind of taking it there in the sense that um, with songwriters, they've been selling catalogs fairly recently. Uh, producers, like I say, sometimes I've seen some get agents that represent them. Uh, their fees all go up and, and, but they're also having a songwriting kind of catalog. So here's, here's where I'm kind of going with it is for everybody. Uh, if you have your records in order, but you're always working over 10 years, all of a sudden you have this large body of work and, and that could be negotiated uh, with. And, and in, in the case of like, I'm wearing my downtown hat a lot today, um, you know, uh a producer has X number of works as a songwriter that could be sold off. Um, can you sell off the producer points? Uh, is that something that a producer could go, Hey, I've got this body of work. Maybe it's like, I'm doing less work each year now. Uh, but maybe I want to sell this off. Are, are they able to sell off those points uh, similar how songwriters are selling catalogs? Um, yeah. I, I don't see why. I don't see why you couldn't. I mean, uh, from a uh, from a songwriter perspective, whether you're you know a songwriter in its purest form or a producer that's also a songwriter, you know whether you have 100% of a song or one third of a song, um, you own a portion of that copyright as a songwriter. Um, when it comes to the sound recording as a producer, a producer might have some revenue entitlements like 15% net receipts or 20% net receipts or 5% net receipts but the producer typically does not own the sound recording copyright. So the producer doesn't have a copyright to sell, but to the extent that producer has a income entitlement, you know, there's no reason I don't think why there can't be a deal done where that, um, you know, where that income stream is flowing to a third party or something. I don't, I, I, I can't say I've, I've done one of those in the case of a producer for points. If anyone's out there that, that has or knows of that, um, let me know. But, I guess I draw that distinction because the producer normally doesn't own the copyright, at least in the commercial context. But again, I don't see why they couldn't do a deal for, you know, their, their sound recording revenue stream. Right. And, and I'm only sort of thinking this way because we're in this age of content creation Yeah, and everybody's creating content, but um, I, I, I feel as songwriters, I feel what I'm seeing from artists is they're releasing singles, not albums. Yeah. So like, if you look at like, Hey, Bob Dylan's catalog, it's hundreds and hundreds of songs. Cause he was releasing album every year, sometimes yeah. two albums a year. I'm just sort of trying to, you know, instigate a little bit here by thinking outside the box of, Hey, 
you know, I build net value and net worth by creating and, and yeah, I and mean, building, you know, let, let's put it this way, Daryl, whether, whether that's a kind of a deal that a producer wants to do or not, <clears throat> they are building wealth for themselves and their, you know, and their families um, as they grow their business, whether it's, you know, uh, sound recording royalties or whether it's publishing revenue or neighboring rights or sound exchange or whatever. Um, you see a lot of producers also building their brand. You know, you, a lot of producers out there are very recognizable and our brands now and are doing like endorsement deals. You know, I've got a few producers that are, you know, trademarking really, really cool, interesting, um, you know, words and phrases and logos because that producer is building that brand. You know, there's the, you know, a production company or a company here in Halifax that's, you know, building really, really amazing plugins. Um, and, you know, um, you know, you can build wealth in so many different ways as a producer, just like an artist. Uh, but producers can do that as well. <clears throat> and I think producers that were always thought of as being sort of behind the scenes kind of actors in the music industry. And, you know, there are some examples of some pretty high profile ones. I think more, you know, and again, others might disagree, but I feel like today, though, more and more producers are building their brand, um, trademarks, logos, and that's a whole new side of, of a business, right? We can have a separate discussion just on trademarks. And as that, as that brand grows, probably, probably, maybe not always, but probably so does um, the revenue associated with the music as well. You know, what is this brand? Who is this producer? Who have they produced for? Okay, I'm going to go spin that. Okay, I'm going to go, you know, stream that, you know, and that's all I'm going to listen to for a month, etc. So really, really exciting ways, I think, to build a business in the music industry for everybody. And I think producers, especially. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting, because just the last week, I've been noticing uh, on YouTube, there's a lot of like, uh, Joe Rogan, interviewing Rick Rubin videos. So I've been watching a lot of this interview with Rick Rubin and he's like one of the top known producers in the world. Um, and hearing sort of his sort of mantras was interesting, his approach, but also there's interviews with the singer from Red Hot Chili Peppers talking about them working with Rick Rubin. And uh, that's just an example of a producer that's built a name, a value, and he just works with top level artists and it's from different genres as well. Uh, Cause a lot of times producers kind of get known as like, that's the rock producer. That's the hip hop producer. That's the rap producer and such like that. Um, but so anyways, I just hope uh, everyone sort of checks that out. Cause it's a really interesting talk. And um, I, I had a friend that actually worked with Rick Rubin once and one of the things that Rick Rubin said to him at the start, after listening to the demo, they, they, Rick Rubin has this thing where nobody talks, they listen, and then they talk about it. And he just turned around and said, for me to give you answers and suggestions, what car do you want to drive? And that he goes, based on your answer, we'll determine how we approach this project. Right. <laughs> so, uh. so, you know, uh, you know, when you're approaching the project, how, how you're going to build your value in, in the results too. So uh, yeah, yeah any, totally. any last comments, Matt? Because uh, I always love talking to you and, and <sighs> we can go in every direction possible. I mean, not, not really other than <clears throat> if you're an artist out there, just, you know, work hard, um, enjoy every minute of what you do. If you're passionate about it, just grind and be the best you can be. And, and hopefully the business side follows, um, hopefully you see some real dollars. And when you get to that point, you know, make sure you've got the appropriate professionals, um, kind of around you, helping you out and here anytime to help if, if folks out there need me. Awesome, Matt. I, I always appreciate your time and, and do follow Matt on Instagram. He's always posting videos. I'm trying to share whenever I can, um, a lot of great tips and, um, one thing that I, I have to sort of say is like, we talk business a lot and yes, it's all important. It does start with the music and song. And the one thing that I could say is be as unique and creative and the best you as possible, uh, as that also becomes uh, defining your value. Uh, if you really see a lot, like I see a lot of people trying to be someone else or sound like someone else, I really try to figure out who you are and, and where you want to be. And, and I think that that's an important part in marrying art with business because 
business has to happen, but art is art is what you're selling. Really, unfortunately, selling is the word in business. Uh, but uh, that's that's super important. Thanks Any, so much, Terrell. Thank you, Matt. Uh, yeah. Thanks, everybody. All right. So that does it for another episode of the Indie Weekly Podcast. We, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. And if you enjoyed these conversations that we share here on the podcast, then I think you would really love coming to the Indie Weekly webinars. Throughout the year, we're having them every Tuesday. They're always at 4 p.m. Eastern time. That's like New York or Toronto time. And it's all about high-level conversations, bringing in experts from all facets of the music and related industries to share their experiences, best practices, tips, advice, really actionable advice with artists. It's all about helping artists boost their own careers, but it's also about community, connecting with each other, connecting with the guests, connecting with Daryl Hurds, uh, who always hosts. And best of all, it's free. So go to IndieWeek.com, hit the Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page and see what's coming up. Think you'd really enjoy it. Certainly worth your time. We'd love to see you there. And last but certainly not least, before we go, just one more shout out and thank you to our wonderful sponsors and funders. Uh, those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, the SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services in Atlantic Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. So without the support of all of them, us here at Indie Week, we couldn't do what we do to help out and work for the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good one.